one game at a time is what Mike Elko would say. Riley Leonard takes an aim. It's one of the biggest wins in Duke football history. Down goes Clemson. The Devils win it 28 to 7. Welcome to episode two of season two of the Big J Little J Show. I am your host, Jordan Mann. Along with me is Connor O'Neill, and we are here celebrating. I am celebrating. Connor is going to recap the Duke upset against number nine Clemson. I can't tell if you I can't tell if you can tell that I'm hoarse. I've lost my voice from last night, Connor. I know you can't do that in the press box, but I did enough screaming and drinking for everybody involved in the general admissions last night. So I'm feeling great. Connor, how are the vibes back at your place? What do we, what's our combined hours of sleep at this point? Uh, I got four and a half. I'm at, I went, I got home. I told you I got home like three, went to bed like four, got up at like eight. So four. Yeah. So we, we got a one good night's sleep between the two of us. Just <laughs> each of us got half. Um, no, I mean it's it's a big day. Um, you know, to give you a little how the how the sausage is made in journalism, like I do a buzzer gamer um that's usually filed within like two or three minutes of the game ending. Then I do an analysis or a column, uh, in this it was a column, in this case, it was a column that was filed a couple hours after the game. And for most games of the year, uh, that's it. Like that, that let's move on. Uh, I'm going to try to do film reviews with Duke stuff this year. Um, that's still trying to come together. This, this week has been, it's just thrown me for such a loop. It's felt like I've lived two parallel lives, uh, with Wake and Duke coverage, but, um, it's it's the rare games like this one that are big games that you write that next morning story. And that's what I did about Riley Leonard this morning. Um, you have so much adrenaline pumping when you wake up. You want to try to capitalize on everybody clicking on stories and reading about the game. Uh, so that's why there was a, a little bonus Riley Leonard story. And hopefully uh, there will be a by the time this is published, there will be another notebook up on the on the site there at Duke.Rivals.com about um, – just rounding up some things like I want to highlight on Tyler Santucci out coaching the second coming of Christ as Clemson's offensive coordinator. Um, there's, there's a few other things that I want to touch on Steve Spurrier being there last night and getting booed by half the stadium when he's introduced. Um, there were, there were some jokes to, to be made uh, thinking about, how much celebrating Spurrier was doing uh, there in the fourth quarter, given given not only his feelings about Duke, but his time spent at South Carolina and coaching against Dabo. So it, it's uh, it was a fun night. Um, I, I don't think I'm in, I don't think I'm uh, giving away the objectivity when I say it was a it was a fun night. It was a fun game to cover. Yeah, yeah, it was a uh, it was an incredible night, obviously for Duke fans. I mean, this is. I'm 29 years old, and obviously this is the biggest win of my lifetime. And I don't even know it comes second. Like I, I've been thinking about what could, what other monumental game could be second place. And I guess I would have to say when Duke beat UNC to beat to clinch the Coastal, that's probably number two. But in terms of just like program defining, there's nothing that comes close to this because this is for just. The standalone spot against the top 10 team in the country on ESPN. And 
you win Duke wins by three touchdowns. Like like we talked about and we'll talk about. Yeah, Clemson looked bad, but Duke did not look good either. Duke did not play to Elko standards in the first half. And he said something really good in at his press conference that they played like losing football, like the couple of turnovers, or they had more turnovers than Clemson, lost turnover battle in the first half. So they're losing at halftime. They win the turnover battle in the second half and they outscore him 22 to nothing. And that's not when he was directly talking to you about Jalen Calhoun staying back there as the punt returner, right? Don't tell me that. We're, we'll, we can talk about that too, but that is another issue in itself with me is oh, just please catching punts, please. But um, I think that's that fine. Was, as, long as, as long as we're not going to discuss two point conversion strategies. No, no, that was a great pick play, by the way, which made it 21 to seven. But I, uh, it was coach speak that Elko said, but it's also real. Like if you break down the game, it's simple. Don't turn the ball over, force the turnovers, and good things happen. And Duke did that in the second half, and Duke won the football game. When you go back to to what he said, you know, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but it was in response to one of my questions in the press conference last week that game ones are lost more often than they're won. And in the first half of that game, Duke was doing the losing of that game. Like, the I think there were three pre-snap penalties in the in the first half, and two of them came on third and twos that turned them into third and sevens that weren't converted. Uh, Duke running back lost a fumble. I, I think that happened twice last year, maybe. Um, you had the muff punt, which definitely happened at least once last year. And uh, that, that was Clemson's only touchdown of the night came when they had an 18-yard uh, drive. <laughs> uh, those are all things like I, I was telling somebody earlier today like I, I feel like I've intimately covered Clemson for the last seven years because I've covered the Atlantic and so like the other six teams in that division it got to the point where they're just beating their heads against the wall trying to beat Clemson even the year Wake the one year Clemson didn't win the Atlantic Wake won the Atlantic and still lost at Clemson so I've seen Clemson play so many games and, and had to pay attention to them. And I mean, a lot of times when teams would make the level of mistakes that they did in the first half against Clemson in years past, they were down two, three touchdowns, not one point. Um, that's where That's where it shows up where Duke was able to, you know, it's kind of impossible to say this without making it think, making it feel like um, I'm degrading Duke, but Duke took advantage of Clemson's mistakes in the second half better than Clemson took advantage of Duke's mistakes in the first half. Yeah. That's where you get the that's where you get the three touchdown margin. Yeah, and even the opening drive for Duke, like that, is a recipe for disaster. When oh yeah, getting to the five and not yeah. scoring a touchdown. You get to the five and it's second and goal at the four, then third and goal, then fourth and goal, and that's. I was telling like people around me, like it's different if it's three nothing and you kick a 42 yard field goal, like they did make a six nothing. Cause then it's like, okay, points are points on that drive. But when you get inside the yeah. five, you have to punch it in if you want to make an upset. And Duke didn't. And that's what Duke did at uh, Clemson the last time they played. They're up six nothing in the first quarter on field goals. Now they weren't like at the five, but you're settling for three and not six. And then Clemson obviously turned into Clemson and boat race duke in the second third and fourth quarter but that just shows like not only the mindset but just 
that the true talent of football players Duke has on their roster that like that doesn't it was irrelevant. Like it was irrelevant. Yeah. And you know, it's this is this is where I got quotes buzzing around in my head. The hell the press conference was only like eighteen hours ago. Um Elko talking about how like the I, I think most people have probably watched the clip that Duke put out of his uh, post game of his post game speech to the team, where he's talking about people won't understand what a group of people can get together and do. Um, it'll all be about you don't have the talent, you don't have the numbers. Um, that's that's what I go to. I, I think that it's such a resilient team. They've they've shown us that. Um, yeah, it's a it's a rocket ship, and that's that's why the column was you know ready or not. Uh, Duke is an ACC contender, and that ready or not is not reflective of like, oh, Duke fans, you need to be ready for your team to be an ACC contender. It's kind of it, it's indicative of the rest of the conference. Like Duke is kind of like we were talking about before we came on air. Duke has kind of leap leapfrogged a couple teams that have been vying for that spot. Um, we don't really know what the spot is because this is year one of the divisionless format, and it's not going to be much of a measuring stick because the ACC is going to look different next year or in two years and whatever. I mean, it's it's just there's so much uh, turnover to be had still with the ACC, but it's a it's an arrival moment. It feels like. Um, We'll we'll kind of kind of have to stave off any thoughts about the ACC and Duke for a while because their next ACC game won't be until October fourteenth. Yeah, kinda weird. It is it is weird because it's almost like you want something more now with Duke and the ACC, like keep the momentum going. But yeah, yeah, I'm, you want you want to you want to like skip ahead and see if they can get to two and zero before everybody else gets to gets to the second game. Yeah, I mean, watching NC State at UConn week one, I'm like, you know what? Duke can beat NC State. Let's go ahead and just play that game, like, instead of Lafayette. Like, let's just go right into it. But, obviously, we'll talk about that at a later date. But, yeah, it's just the vibes are high as the fan base. And, obviously, I said on here that – and, obviously, you gave me crap, and rightfully so. I was, like, 10-2. and two, But now it's, like – like, if Duke doesn't – obviously, it's – Want to know they beat number nine team, and this is totally looking ahead. You never want to look ahead, but because if when you do that, that's when you slip up. When you have a big win, but you have a big upset, an emotional upset. It's more so in basketball than football because it's a, such a quick turnaround where the next game's in a couple of days rather than a week, and let alone a cupcake. No offense to Lafayette, but a cupcake game at that. So Duke can still reset their minds, but. You just don't want to be like, okay, we beat Clemson. Now I can just show up and beat whoever. Because then that's how you get beat by UConn on the road in week four. Like, as long as Duke keeps level-headed, keeps to be level-headed. The team you just beat had the coach basically say, we can't just show up and win games anymore. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm probably putting an extra word or two in Davo's mouth that uh, changed the, the tone of that. But – I will say that if you take Clemson's ACC games in the last eight years, you'll probably highlight 70 to 80% of them and say, this is a game that Clemson with their talent level and their execution level 
could just show up and win. Um, they didn't have to do anything out of the ordinary to do. Um, that's not the case for them anymore. It's never been more evident than last night. Uh, it shouldn't have been the case last year, but they went 8-0 and and won the, won the league. Um, and regardless of what happens to Clemson this year, uh, like say they do go seven and five, like say this is just a disaster year for them. And it do goes from upsetting the number nine team to they were seven and five or whatever. The point should not matter to the fan base. Shouldn't matter at all because at the end of the day, they did have a down year last year or in their stand, their fan standards, they, they were not in the college football playoff. They won 10 games, won the ACC championship and their, their QB who they wanted from for a year finally got the keys to the car with a splash hired offensive coordinator and if it wasn't for a fumbled punt inside the red zone they could have possibly been shut out at duke that speaks volumes to where duke as a football program is in itself so even if they go seven five eight and four have a just a disastrous year duke is took a clear step forward to where the ceilings even hot arguably the highest it's ever been. And that's obviously no knock on the 2013 team that went to AC championship game, but it's just, there's something different. I mean, you can just kind of see the speed of the game. Like the 2013 team had Crowder. That was un, just an unbelievable specimen of a wide receiver. Like just could get open against anybody. He got open against Florida state. O-line was good too. O-line was good too. And then you had Jeremy Cash, who was a dog. But in terms of like a collective ones and twos, just the flying around speed, like it's just night and day. It just not night and day, but just there's just another step. There's another gear with this team. This where you play the David Feely getting thrown up in the air in the locker room after the Miami game last year. Uh, yes, I love yes. What he's done, man, is just incredible. So shout out to Coach Feely. Again, it's like the I was trying to think about this today, and I, I think maybe I was on the way back uh, last night slash early this morning. Um, I don't I don't think people realize how rare it is and how special it is to have a coach that does everything to plan and executes the plan that he has from day one, and that's kind of what Elko has done, and and that's that's where you're seeing the the quick turnaround and it's not a two or three year rebuild. Like he came in as opening presser and said, like, this is not a developmental program. Duke is not an institution where, you know, I should get a year or two of losing football and settling for just um, moral victories. And like, we, we should demand ourselves to be a high level ACC team and we should win championships here. Uh, he even said every other program at Duke does it, you know, it's, it's not just men's basketball. Like every program at Duke is up there competing at, at a pretty high level and football has kind of had, had a couple, um, peaks in there, but it's, it's the execution of the plan that really stands out. It's the fact that you, know, you go back to, uh, I, I can't remember, I think. I think Mike has said this, um, you know, everybody, when he got hired, like I asked the question is opening intro presser about uh, what kind of offense he would have and what he was looking for there. And 
and he's since come out and said, you know, everybody, when you're a new coach and especially when you're a first-time coach, everybody wants to know who you're going to hire as your coordinators. But he wanted to nail the strength and conditioning hire. And he knew, like, that was the one he had to get right. Not that he could, you know, hire any anybody to be his OC or DC. Like, Kevin Johns has done a great job. Rob Smith did a decent job last year. Tyler Santucci in one game looked like he did a pretty damn good job. <laughs> but he, he really emphasized getting the right guy uh, in strength and conditioning. And that's where David Feely – um, you know, Mario Cristobal made the decision he did. Every coach that gets hired that's been a head coach wants to bring their strength and, strength and conditioning guy with them. And that was who Mario brought to Miami. And that put David Feely out of a job and brought him to Durham. And that's, you know, <laughs> uh, we're, yeah, like we're, we're seeing the, you know, the rest is history part of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. At least, at least for this season, and who knows what the future will hold. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you say that because people often view like a bad, like a bad year. It's always on one person or like one thing. And last year with A and M, like their offense was very vanilla, and they had a down year. But I would look at the message boards, especially afterwards, especially when there was rumor that Santucci was leaving and he could really come to Duke. And there's like, thank God, get him off our hands. Like, I will, I'll buy his ticket to Durham to RDU. And I'm like, okay, like you're you're taking everything out of context that like he is Elko's guy, and he was co-defense coordinator, so you don't truly know what his real role was at AM. So, yeah, I need to lock that down whether he was calling plays last year or not. Yeah, That's some, I I meant to check on that. I, I need to get to that. But regardless, like you, you never know, like if Jimbo had a say in it or the Cody coordinator had more. But my point being, he clearly knows football. He, like Elko said, he watched three years worth of film for one game. Like if you think coaching is just going out there and hoorahing guys like as a Hollywood movie and rallying the troops and they just play for the coach, you're lying to yourself. Like you have to know what the hell – every inch of the game means and he busted his ass and in the offseason and it it worked and people were like wow duke held him to seven points they looked terrible clemson looked terrible well when you got coaches that just get it that that's why they just get it every every player who's played for elko has told me about how much smarter they are because they played for him because of his impact and the way he thinks about games. And there's even, there was a phrase used in the first couple of years that I was covering wake because there were a lot of play, a lot of the upperclassmen on those teams had played for Elko for two or three years, not just redshirting on the scout team. Like they were in the two deep, they were in rotations and there was kind of like a, you know, is, is that guy an Elko guy? Like, is he going to think through the game? Is he going to put in some extra film hours? Is he going to kind of, you know, be able to move quickly in, in reads in defenses? And those were Elko guys. Um, that that's that extends now. Like that's there. He has a staff full of Elko guys. Like he has Tyler Santucci. He has Lyle Hempel. He has uh, Ishmael Aris today is a young guy on the defensive staff. Uh, Harlan Bauer is a young guy like that whole staff 
I, I think of as like Elko guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Jess Simpson is really the only one that kind of has made a name for himself at, at other big time places. Um, you get what I'm saying there? Like, yeah, yeah. Jess like, was an NFL coach. The coaching um, tree. It's his coaching yeah. tree. Yeah. So it's it's growing there, um, and it's it's going to produce some guys that think pretty smart on the defensive side of the ball and this day and age of, of football and every single rule change seems to benefit the offense. Uh, that's a good thing when you can play defense better than other teams. Yeah. And like what separates his coaching tree to Cutcliffe's cause that was ultimately Cutcliffe's downfall was hiring within is that Elko's all of his hires have previous positions of other programs. Like, Hemphill was the DC at Wake, and I know things got bad at the end for him in terms of points per game and stuff. So he's a safeties coach, but he's still knowledgeable in the game and he still know has the experience. It's kind of like Shragi with Duke basketball, is he stepped away from Duke after being director of basketball ops guy forever, got got to be an assistant coach, and then was a head coach at Elon for a few years. And now he's back at Duke being like on or off the court guy but point being is he has head coaching experience where he he can actually be involved in certain conversations these guys with elko have these coordinating positions previously and even that even uh what's the db's coach's name Aristide. Uh, ishmael today yeah Aristide. today came from uh miami and he was the db coach there too but that's just a different program with different environment different learning to where you can put that forward to Duke. And like one of my favorite things about him is he likes tall DBs. Thank God you like tall DBs. I don't know why anybody else in the country wants a five, nine, no offense to short Kings out there, five, nine, five, 10, 180 guy. When you're going against six, two, if you're playing power five football, it's guaranteed six, two and taller wide receivers on the outside. And so miles Jones, six, four transfer Al blaze is what six, one, but just like there was a couple impressive pass breakups that Duke had last night that long reach, like just get your hand in. And Brandon Johnson also played his ass off and had a couple pass breakups. And I know he's my, he's a short King, but he flies around and he has a reach and he's ball aware to where he's going to put his hand in when the ball's coming in and not try and face guard and, play man-to-man defense basketball-wise, as my old AAU coach used to say, broke back mountain defense. So I, it's just everything I saw last night, just I loved it. That's that's the thing. Like, it's great that they have uh, Al Blades and uh, Miles Jones. I think Jeremiah Lewis is, is up there size-wise. At least he looked pretty big, played pretty big last night. Um <laughs> You can have short guys on the defense too, though. Like you're, yeah, you're making it. You know, Chandler Rivers is pretty damn good. Brandon Johnson's really good. Uh, I, I, I need you to go look at the Dwayne Carter, uh, quote from last night about Stinson, where he's just like, oh yeah, I think it was, Stinson's a dog. He's he's all of five six. He might be one eighty, and he's the hardest hitter on the team. That's true. Uh, like, obviously, I'm poking fun at just the previous like PTSD I have of jump balls that Duke has just did not come down with because of the size disadvantage. Like I'm yeah, that's, a decade that's, or so ago, not with this group. Cause Jalen Stinson, he is a bullet. 
Like, I mean, That's he fair. when he hits a hole, him and Brandon Johnson, when they blitz, it's a bullet going through the hole. But, yeah, I'm just going off of, like, 20 years of watching Duke football, not, not this season or this team. Yeah, it's uh, – I mean, we probably don't have time to get into it, but my, my theory is uh, – it's just when they're young, like you, if you have a, if you have a tall player in Peewee, you want him to play receiver because those are the guys that help you score points. Everybody wants to score points. Nobody wants to play defense. Uh, like that's, you get noticed a lot more when you're going up and making Odell Beckham catches um, playing offense than, than if you're a DB, it's just yeah, trying to defend it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the way football culture has taken us to where it, it's more profitable to be a receiver. Um, that's where you find the bigger guys. That's where you find the basketball players. And you know, Darius Joyner will take offense to that. But yeah, uh, like that. That's kind of my working theory on why you see so many more bigger receivers than bigger corners. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that there's definitely a lot to it. But I just like that he his philosophy is like I need at least like a long armed. DB like a wingspan, which again, it just makes so much sense to cover, yeah, the, cover up ground. This is, I mean, I can't give you the quote, but uh, the high school union that I went to last week, Grimsley at Reagan, uh, Ish and Harlan Bauer were both there. Uh, there was a Duke commit playing for Reagan, Landon Callahan, who's a corner, and so Ish was very interested to see him, and Grimsley's big time class of 2025 kid Bryce Davis is defensive end which Harlan coaches uh talked to Ish for a few minutes there in the first half and I will I will tell you like he he's very excited to have long corners music to my ears Ish music to my ears but speaking of like press conferences do you see uh what Dabo said after the Duke game like the stats the stat where Clemson has over 200 passing yards and over 200 rushing yards. Yeah, I I always, I mean that's cherry picked a little bit. Uh, I think I'm kind of stealing from David Hale when I say that. Uh, you know, yeah, it was you had a 200 200 game, but you had 422 yards of total offense. That's not all that much. Um, and if if my math is correct and my memory is correct. 18 rushing and 18 passing came in the last like 30 seconds of the first half when it didn't matter. Like when Duke was dropping eight players, 30 yards off the ball at the snap and just playing to keep things in front because they just didn't need to give up any points going into halftime. So yeah, I get why Dabo is going to be drawn to that on the stat sheet, but it's well, also kind of like good. To be fair, uh, my point being is I just love the stat because now for people that do not know and Dabo's history at Clemson, they're 58 no when they have 200 passing yards and 200 rushing yards at least. And in Clemson history by Dabo, what Dabo said is 108 and no with the same stats. So now they're 108 and one all time as a program with these stats. So even I'm glad you're bring it to light because Klubnik did not look good. Klubnik, I just did not see anything that passed the eye test. I mean, his first possession looked like the stage was – he was very nervous because Jeremiah Lewis, who was player of the game and was honored for uh, defense player of the week or on the team of 
ACL defenses team or whatever for the week had a pick right in his hands or right in his chest because he, uh, Klubnik, he, Klubnik, missed a throw by like 10 yards to the left of the receiver. Like I was sitting in general mission and I'm like, that's an arm punt. Who's he throwing to? And then I see Jeremiah Lewis and it just, it catches him off guard because he's trying to play ball and man and just hits him in the gut. But yeah, he just had a couple throws. And the one other throw real quick about Klubnik, when Dwayne Carr jumped off sides on a third and 19 and it was a free play, Klubnik, I don't think, knew it was a free play because when he threw the pick to Al Blades and triple coverage, he immediately put his hands on his helmet like this, like he couldn't believe that he overthrew it. And then when he got tackled, it looked like he went over there with Dabo, had to keep, like they talked, and then hand off the next play for third 19 punt. But that though that pick didn't count, it wasn't like a free play. I'm going to throw a bomb. It looked like by his reaction, he was like, oh, crap. Why did I throw this? So he just didn't – maybe DJU wasn't the problem. said that so much last year. I know you did. I that's finally I caved. I finally caved at the end of the year. That's why I said that. I know. But, you know, it's like – yeah, it's just he – he Dabo is he's too stuck in his ways man like I heard his press conference too or a quote that he had about Garrett Riley being his offensive coordinator is like yeah like he has a system and stuff but it's still Clemson and he's gonna have to run he's Clemson coming here to run the Clemson offense and it's like well Dabo that Clemson offense is pretty shaky ass it's bad it's not been good since you had the number one overall uh pick yeah, like you can have guys in the one that we knew was the number one overall pick for his entire college career. Yeah, it's not like Trevor Lawrence grew for two years and then we figured out, oh, this guy's the number one overall pick. That was a prodigy. Yeah, and you have to. The thing about college athletics, college, yeah, college in general is you have to adapt with the times. If you don't, you're going to get left behind. And if the wake up call to losing to Duke is not your wake up call then you're going to be out of a job and say like say they go like I said eight and four this year for the next three years like they just struggle for two to three years Clemson fans and boosters are going to be going crazy because they're like we have Tommy Bowden again and you can't yeah I mean that's that's the that's the conversation that I think is too premature at this point like correct for for as fun as last night was to dance on Dabo's grave um and I'm dancing I know <laughs> Look, I'll admit I did too. Like I, I know. I mean, I know. Twitter I was hilarious defended, after the game. I have defended some things that Dabo has said and done, and it's like, man, I don't know if I really believe this, but I'm trying to see it from his perspective. And like, look, he, he's it. A lot of it is just distraction and deception from what's actually going on. He's he's a politician. He's a CEO and a politician. That's what he That's is. True. Uh, he was a little known receivers coach when he got the job. It's not like he was calling plays. It's not like he was really like dialed into the scheme of things. Um, but man, it's, it's really hard to watch the team that you used to compare yourselves to. And then you got to spend like four or five years stomping into the ground to watch them on Sunday night go out there and just obliterate the an SEC team that's supposed to be a top 10 team, top five team, 
and they're throwing three touchdown passes to a guy that they didn't have to go get. Like, they have Johnny Wilson. They've recruited well. They didn't need Keon Coleman. They just went out and got a future NFL receiver to put on the other side from Johnny Wilson, and they throw three touchdowns to him. And then you look at Clemson's receivers. They're all the same guys that haven't gotten open the last two years and dropped some DJU balls that screwed his confidence up. And all of a sudden, they're supposed to be better because you have a new OC and a new QB? Yeah. That's that's where it's like – You got to adapt or die, man. Like, and this is – this is going to be a strange ending to to Clemson's dynasty because it is a dynasty. Yeah. And, uh, but if one thing that we know about college football is you can quickly change that narrative by landing your portal pieces, but he's got to do that. Like he's got to adapt. And like there's holes in that team. Like you said, go get a five-star wide receiver, a, a big name in the portal at the end of the year, like put your guard down because what's going to happen is, like you do have these four and five star guys and like, but they're going to, if you have a down year, the one thing about the portal is they're going to be looking elsewhere, dude. So then you're going to have to be stepping up freshmen for bigger roles in your program because you don't want to go fill the holes with immediate contributions by other guys. And it's, he's got it. Like you said, he's got to adapt to it because Florida state's done it. And Norvell went from, the hottest seat ever at Florida State, especially after losing to Jack, uh, Jacksonville State. And what, two years ago? That seems like that almost didn't happen now with the way that the program looked week one against LSU. He did a hell of a job revamping his offense and defense, and they are legit. And yeah, Dabo's got to do the same thing because you got the coordinator who clearly showed that what his worth was at TCU for putting an unranked team at the start of the season into the national championship. I know they got boat raced by Georgia, but the fact TCU went from unranked and like people forget they had a QB controversy with Max Duggins and the other guy who I'm drawing a blank on, it was like a two QB thing. And then that yeah, guy Duggan got, didn't win it. Yeah. That guy, the starter got hurt. Duggins came in and the offense still went to the college football finals. So let your coordinator, who I know you're paying a couple million for at least, do his job and coordinate. Stop being involved. You were a mediocre receivers coach for Tommy Bowden's team. Let your guy cook. But thank you for not letting him cook against Duke. Thank you, because now we're here talking about a win. But And this this is – let me – I'm going to beat, beat this drum one more time. I told you. That it was if you're going to get Clemson in year one of a new coordinator and a new quarterback, you better get him in game one because it's going to look it's going to look better in game six than it is in game one. Yeah, I was yeah. just it's the way it's going to go. And I don't know their schedule, and you're 100 percent correct because Duke got Duke got a couple months to prepare for them, like the whole offseason. So uh, I don't know their schedule, but say. Well, I know they have Florida State, so that's another loss. But if they can ride the home against Florida State, though, yeah, but I just the they Florida State has dudes, man, dudes. But if they can win, they go nine and three and just at least turn some things around and have bright spots, then good for them. But this is a Duke recap, and I'm talking about Clemson. So sorry to the Duke fans. Yeah, but back to Duke. Where do we go from here, Connor, with Duke? We just had an emotional win. Now we're 
Duke's playing Lafayette coming this week, uh, this upcoming week. What is the mindset for Duke, do you think? Get through it uh, healthy. Like I was telling somebody earlier today, like, I think if anybody is even like 30% on the not playing because of a medical issue or anything like that, then they shouldn't play or, or maybe just warm them up and get them one, one or two series and then get them out of there. Uh, I think that like every coach that now is coming out against the new clock rules, which is the clock keeps rolling on first downs. It's a lot fewer plays in games. I think Mike Elko is actually probably one of the few coaches in the country that's happy about that rule, at least for this week, because he doesn't have to worry about marching a team out there against the FCS team and, and finding 70 to 80 snaps for guys that just played a, a very physical and emotional game against Clemson. Um, but yeah, this is, this is the, let's get through it. Uh, let's, Let's make sure we win our matchups where we have matchup advantages. Uh, you know, it's – I got in trouble for this earlier, but it's the FCS game. Like, it's yeah. it's a game where you can get away with some things and still win by three touchdowns. Yeah, and, I mean, this is basically our – for the audience, this is our look ahead to our preview for the Lafayette game because – Look, it's Lafayette, and it's more so where Duke comes, Duke goes from here. Like, as an emotional win, we talked about it off air when I was made the comparison about basketball, or was that on air? I cannot remember where I said that. I think it was on. I think it was on. It was on. You already said that. Yeah, okay. Well, I won't bring that up again, but this is, like, where Duke can get the kinks out of, like, hey, it's going to be a sloppy – you could have a sloppy start. It's a hangover start, but – just don't play with your food after like the first couple possessions and take control of the game. I think this is a game Jalen Coleman didn't play week one. And if I had to guess, he's probably not going to play week two because they don't need him week two. So rest for Northwestern. But I think this is a game where Peyton Jones does get his touches. He didn't get any touches against Clemson, but I mean, he's going to get them this upcoming week. I figured we would see Peyton Jones in for like one series last night, at least just to, just to get him out there and see what he had. Um, but it, it, unless I missed it, it was just, it was just Dequez and Jordan Waters and, mm -hmm. uh, obviously played well, both had a touchdown there to put it away. But, yeah. um, yeah, yeah. I, I would, Makai Wall got out there and was running around in the slot a little bit last night. I don't think he made an impact there, but I, I would expect to see him get a few more of a, a share, um, you know, you're you're looking for one of the guys that I I, I guess I should have expected to see him, but I, I was still kind of surprised when I did was uh, Jeremiah Hazley, converted tight end. He was running around back there making plays, uh, making blocks. That was somebody that got highlighted in Elko's press conference. I think it was I think it was last week. Um, I don't think it was one of the preseason fall camp ones, but he pointed out that they needed a more, more physical tight end. And so they moved a linebacker over. Um, I would expect to see him a little bit more. Um, yeah, this is, this is the guys. game. Yeah. This is the game to make sure that all your guys that are like 
scratching the surface of the depth chart uh, that are that are kind of in the rotations get some good experience. Yeah, I mean, this uh, is for all you Duke basketball fans out there. This is when Duke plays UNC Pembroke in exhibition. Like you're going to see the you need to see the other guys contribute. Like you're going to get your star guys get 22 minutes again in basketball terms, but then you need to see the bench see what they're made of, build their confidence up. Because I think Riley, I mean, I think it's a first-half game for Riley. I think Henry, you want to watch uh, Duke fans go out to this game because I know it's Lafayette, it's not Clemson. But Henry Belon is Belon or Belon? I always – Belon. Belon. Henry Belon, I think of Belon as the Michigan coach. Uh, Henry Belon, he's talented. He's very talented. And – the young receivers, the young defensive players, they're all talented guys. So, like, you're seeing the future of Duke literally in front of you this upcoming Saturday. And if I can make it, I'd, I'm going to try and go because that was another thing. Hats off to the students and the fans that came. Like, it was a great atmosphere. And that would be a dream come true if that could be more consistent. Obviously, you're not going to get that Lafayette, first Lafayette, but maybe you can get it when NC State comes to town and obviously Notre Dame. Yeah, I was gonna say you want it you want it before NC State. Yeah, I was thinking of ACC. I was going from the next ACC game. But yeah, I think this is a game where I'm curious to see what the spread's gonna be because my buddy who I went with to the game last night was like, I'm taking Lafayette. He's assuming it's like plus 49. And I'm like, okay, that's if it's plus 49, then I hope you do take Lafayette because I don't think it's going to be that bad. But yeah, I don't. I don't think Michael run it up to that level. What was the A yeah. and T score last year? Uh, like I don't know. If, I want to say forty eight twenty something in that range. And I think A and T scored a couple touchdowns late. I know Duke blitzed them coming out. Uh, like there was a one play drive. Forty nine twenty. Yeah. Yeah. But that was also uh, that was also what game two, three, game two or three in Elko's system. Three. So it could have been two. They just didn't know where to go. And but I do see your point though. And with the new running clock rules, like Duke, Duke wants to just not have the defense on the field. Like that was the one thing. The Clemson game, we talk about anomaly. The third quarter, Duke seemed like they had the ball for three minutes and Clemson had it for 12 and they had zero points and Duke had seven. That, yeah. That was insane. Besides that long touchdown run, which was – I still – I've watched that touchdown run by Leonard multiple times. And the fact that he gets by the DB and all the – like he has two yards to spare by the DB and he doesn't get pushed out of bounds, let alone tackled, is crazy to me. Like he – he he was joked as a giraffe last year. That was like the inside joke to everybody. But he looked fast. Like, he just looked good running the ball. Like, he did not look like a, a deer or a giraffe. That dude looked like he was a baller. He keeps telling us this stuff. Like, he's such an honest kid. And he, yeah. he's so genuine that he keeps saying shit that you don't expect to hear from yeah. a starting quarterback at a college level. Like, he tells us all about the you suck stuff. He tells us about his teammates calling him a giraffe. And it's like, I really appreciate you telling us this. But also, like, you you understand what you're doing when you 
when you tell us this and don't don't just give us the bull Durham. I'm just here to help the team any way I can. Well, that that and now he's viral from all like Bleach Report and ESPN and stuff for his interview with AC Network where he was begging his professor to let him turn his assignment in late. And you yeah. know that's pure Riley because he like you said, he's just like brutally honest. It's like, how are you feeling after the game? Well, I haven't turned in an assignment, and so I need to really ask my professor. And they're like, all right, let's record it. And so they put it on yeah. TV, and I saw it on Bleacher Report, and I had like three and a half million impressions. I'm like, Riley. I mean, that's great because it gives, again, it gives Duke uh, – it gets Duke viral, Duke football viral, which is great for the program. But it's just so funny because the dude is just a pure – he's just a pure soul. Like, he's the nicest dude. Again, it's like – it's great for where I'm coming from because I want that color. I, I like show us who you are and let me write who you are. Correct. Uh, don't don't make me guess. Uh, don't make me ask other people. Like I'll ask other people and they'll give me insight, like Dwayne and Elko did. But also like, show me. Um, <laughs> at the same time, like... I I mean when he came out on ACC Network too and. It needs to be put on a T-shirt. God's good, and so is our defense. That's just bars. That is a yeah. great quote from Riley because, I mean, anybody knows Riley just knows him, and he's just – yeah, he's a pure guy, and he's the best. And to turn it a little serious, like, he knows how good the defense is because they picked him off and gotten his shit all fall camp. Like, <laughs> he spent three and a half weeks practicing against that defense. He knows how good they are. Yeah. Uh, and there were there were times when, like, you would ask me, OK, how does Riley look? And it's like, well, you know, fall camp, it's it's all zero sum. Like if Riley throws a pick, is it bad that he threw a pick or is it good that, you know, Al Blades went up and made a play against Jordan Moore? Uh, it, it's it's so tough to evaluate that kind of stuff, those kind of things. The thing where I take it to is you know, I just got finished at a weights press conference so it's fresh in my mind but their quarterback uh both teams and i think every team in college football their quarterback isn't live in fall camp so they don't get hit which leads to wakes quarterback making the second start of his career taking it was either three or four sacks against elon and all but one of them were because he was holding the ball too long and that's probably pretty relatable as Dave Clawson explained to the fact that he went a month of football without getting hit, which really becomes like nine months or, or longer for a guy that's not a returning starter. Like he was only start came at the beginning of last year. So what I'm getting at is Riley Leonard did not take a sack against Clemson. Riley Leonard, how many times like his, his completion to attempts is 17 of 33, but how many of those 16 incompletions were just throwaways? Uh, at least like seven, at least seven. Yeah. You, you look at that stuff and you really come to appreciate like this kid's special uh, the, the, to have that kind of timing and to have that kind of awareness in game one against that team. Uh, I would still say Clemson won the line of scrimmage. Like Clemson's defensive line got more penetration than Duke's offensive line probably would have liked. But Riley, again, did not get sacked, made the plays that he needed to. And that's where you come away and think, 
uh, yeah, the the quarterbacks that have beaten Clemson in the last eight years, the the company he's in is pretty damn special. Yeah, and it's very exciting times for Duke because of Riley and that that O line looking for redemption for these next couple of weeks. Because obviously, after last year, they love dominating line of scrimmage and running the ball, jamming the ball like down a defense's throat like that's what they pride and joy is we're going to run it and you can know that we're going to run it and we're going to still run it and they kind of actually did that at the end of the game against Clemson I know Clemson probably gave like you can say they gave up you can say they whatever but the third and eight Jordan Moore scores a 36 yard touchdown run and Clemson's defense knowing Duke's going to run the ball Duke won the trenches opened up a hole nice cut by Waters I said what I say Jordan Moore yeah. I, might, I might have said the name wrong. I'm going to have to listen back. But I meant Jordan Waters gets the handoff from the 36-yard line, makes a nice jump cut, and has a hole and goes untouched against Clemson. Again, it was a two-score game, third and eight with four minutes to go in the game. And that's a winning winning play late in the fourth quarter. Hey, we're going to run it. And that's what Duke did. And obviously early in the game, they didn't because they were doing a lot of short passes, but that was on the scouting report. I mean, John's had a feeling that Clemson has a very talented defensive line. You got to get it outside quick. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but he called the game plan that won him the game. So hats off to Coach Johns for that too. Which one of the teams had the has the same quarterback in OC as they did last year? Duke. But last year they didn't have the same OC and quarterback and won nine games. So but they also has to deal with the head coach giving the offense coordinator reins to the offense. <laughs> That's the key. Let the guy. That I thought we were done talking about Clemson. I know, but it's nice. Was this was this one of the two losses you had? No, no. Okay. I, oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. And your preseason had, predictions. Yes, yes. It was Clemson and Florida State. So Man. I was I was wrong about ten and two. It was twelve and zero. Oh. So that's just on me for low ball and Duke with not season predictions. I, I left the press box joking that with the with the Duke SIDs that you know one of my optimistic predictions was Duke goes four and one in September and I was like well I hope I didn't jinx you guys into a loss at UConn. <laughs> yeah, if you did, we're gonna have your head on a pitchfork. So last thing, Connor, as we close out with this episode, say Duke wins the rest of September. They beat UConn. They're four and zero. College game day. Oh, okay. At Duke. You say the rest of September. I'm thinking. Okay, they're five and zero, and they've beaten Notre Dame. And I thought the question was going to be how high they, are they play ranked. Notre Dame. How many damn weekends is in September? It's the last last day of the month. Oh my god! All right, the first four games of the season. Duke's four and zero, and Notre Dame wins out because Notre Dame's already tenth in the country with this new AP which is kind of crazy to me, but they, they'll they stay top 10 if they win out. Duke wins out, I probably would say, since the three games, which we'll go into obviously week by week, but it's not it's not Clemson's. There are no Clemson's. So I see Duke maybe getting like 18th. Like at the height, they could go up three spots in three weeks because if Duke only beats Northwestern by like 14, like – it's going to be one of those critique things, Duke fans. Welcome to the top 25. If you don't have the, the win where you're supposed to dominate, you're going to drop a spot. So, if Duke, with it, it being just, Duke, 
But with it, it being always, football, it's going to be – that's what it's going to be, unfortunately. It always, it always depends on what the teams do around you. That was one thing I spent three years as an AP voter and tried to drill into people. Like, But for you, yes. But there's AP voters, like Ben Swain pointed out, that that one guy voted South Carolina ranked, UNC unranked, Clemson stayed at number nine, and then uh, Colorado's unranked and TCU stayed ranked. That's that's lazy balloting. Yeah, uh, that was something that South always drove me crazy. Because isn't aren't the AP voters the ones that are on the college football Reddit page where it shows like all the people? Yeah, that's somebody did that is like some local South Carolina guy that clearly has South Carolina bias and clearly hates Deion Sanders. And you know I'm not trying to really just draw this picture, but I can kind of point. I can kind of tell what this guy probably looks like. But he just. Those type of voters, there's it's frustrating. But my point being is, I'm making this, I'm dragging this out. Well, do you think Duke will have college game day with Notre Dame, two ranked teams at Duke undefeated? Kind of might depend on where game day is the week before. You know what the week before is? No idea. Uh, it's Florida State at Clemson, but it's also. Where is this game? It's also Ohio State at Notre Dame. Oh, man. That will be so, so frustrating if it's not to Duke because they do Ohio State, Notre Dame. And that's the thing. Like, I don't know if they would go to Notre Dame and then go to where Notre Dame is playing. Uh, and the thing you got to remember, I, I know everybody wants game day to come to their school, and I know it sucks that Duke is one of, like, what is it down to, seven or eight in the P5 that have never had it. But it's a TV show. First yes. and foremost, it's a, it is a TV show. And they're going to show up where they know people are going to be. And they – it it takes a long time to change perceptions of programs. Well, I mean, they would change this. It takes a – that – they they, they'll give you one. They'll, okay, they'll give you one. <laughs> yeah, that, but all so I maybe do – Maybe Duke is the the team that breaks through this year. Uh, I just – it's something that I would caution. I would say don't get your hopes up, and I would say be pleasantly surprised if it happens, but don't bank on it. Yeah, I'm banking on it. I, I have to. Great. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not banking on it, but I'll be very frustrated because if they do not go to Duke, who would be – I guess a top 20 and Notre Dame's top 10 at Duke after Duke upset the number nine team in the country to start the season, then Duke's never getting college game day. Like that's just, it will never happen. And so it, unless like it happens later in the year because Duke beats Notre Dame and then all of a sudden like Drake may and them have, Oh no, that'd be at UNC. Yeah. that So that wouldn't happen. So I need college game day, Connor, you can laugh all you want, but I need it because it's not going to be against Virginia. That's for damn sure after watching them against Tennessee, who are seven. That game's, at, that game's at Virginia, too. Oh, my God. I don't know the schedule anymore. There's, Connor, there's, a lot about, of road, there's a lot of road games in the back half. I've talked about Duke football for the last month on multiple – on our podcast and other podcasts and other shows. I clearly don't know what the hell I'm talking about because I don't know our schedule all of a sudden. We play Pitt at home, don't we? Please tell me we play Pitt at home last game of the season. 
Yes. Thank God. Well, maybe if they miraculously get ranked in Duke's number one at that time, because we'll be 11 and 0 going into that game. Man, you're you're playing with fire if you're going to root for a Pat Narduzzi team. I know, I, I, you know, I don't like him as much as you do, but I think Duke will get college game day. I'm hoping for a college game day, but we'll dive into that more as it gets closer. And that will be next week's episode where we'll quickly recap the Lafayette game and then look forward to Northwestern, who, uh, yikes.